Introduction to Evangelical Repentance by John Cahoon The Lord Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. True repentance, accordingly, forms a part of the religion not of an innocent person, but of a sinner. It is produced by the Spirit of Christ in the regeneration and sanctification of a sinner, and is absolutely essential to the character of a true Christian. As the Christian is daily sinning, he ought to be daily repenting of sin. Tertullian says, I was born for nothing but repentance. Repentance is natural or legal or evangelical. Natural repentance is that natural feeling of sorrow and self-condemnation of which man is conscious for having done that which he sees he ought not, have, ought not have done, and it arises from a discovery of the impropriety of it, or from reflecting on the disagreeable consequences of it to others, and especially to himself. This feeling of regret frequently occurs when a man, especially a proud and vain man, is convinced of his having been guilty of some glaring in instance of improper conduct, either against or in the presence of a fellow creature, it is sometimes very keen and painful. Legal repentance is a feeling of regret produced in a legalist by the fear that his violations of the divine law and especially his gross sins do expose him to eternal punishment. This regret is increased by his desire to be exempted on the ground of it from the dreadful punishment to which he knows he is condemned for them. He is extremely sorry, not that he has transgressed the law, but that the law and justice of God are so very strict that they cannot leave him at liberty to sign with him, to sin with impunity. His love of sin and his hatred of holiness continue in all their vigor, and yet under the dominion of his legal temper, he presumes to expect that such repentance as this will in some measure atone for all his crimes against the infinite majesty of heaven. Evangelical repentance is altogether different from either of these. It is a gracious principle and habit implanted in the soul by the Spirit of Christ, in the exercise of which a regenerate and believing sinner, deeply sensible of the exceeding sinfulness and just demerit of his innumerable sins, is truly humbled and grieved before the Lord. On account of the sinfulness and hurtfulness of them, he feels bitter remorse unfeigned sorrow, and deep self-abhorrence for the aggravated transgressions of his life, and the deep depravity of his nature, chiefly because by all his innumerable provocations he has dishonored an infinitely holy and gracious God, transgressed a law which is holy and just and good, and defiled, deformed, and even destroyed his own precious soul. This godly sorrow for sin and this holy abhorrence of it arise from a spiritual discovery of pardoning mercy with God in Christ and from the exercise of trusting in his mercy. And these feelings and exercises are always accompanied by an unfeigned love of universal holiness and by fixed resolutions and endeavors to turn from all iniquity to, to God and to walk before him in newness of life. Such, in general, is the nature of that evangelical repentance, 
to the habit and exercise of which the Lord Jesus calls sinners to hear the gospel. To understand spiritually and distinctly the proper place of true repentance in the covenant of grace, as well as the duty and necessity, the grace and exercise of it, is of inexpressible importance to the faith, to the faith, holiness, and comfort of the Christian. It is due in a higher degree than is commonly believed to their want of such views of it that multitudes in the visible church mistake a counterfeit for a true repentance and so flatter themselves that they are true penitents and their salvation is sure. It is because many convinced sinners have not a distinct discernment of its place in the new covenant that they apprehend that Christ will receive none but the true penitent, or that none else is warranted to trust in him for salvation. Hence they dare not attempt coming to the gracious Redeemer till they are first satisfied that their repentance is of the true kind until they can bring it as a price in their hand to procure their welcome. Instead of this, they ought without a moment's delay to come to Christ for, two, for true repentance. It is no less owing to their ignorance of its due place among the other blessings of salvation to, that many believe it to be believe it to be the federal condition of the pardon of sin in justification, and persuade themselves that in the gospel this pardon is offered only to the penitent. And is it not because of their gross ignorance of the nature and use of true repentance? that many can persuade themselves that their repentance will even atone for their crimes, that it will make satisfaction to the insulted justice of the Most High and reinstate them in his favor. It is in a high degree owing to their ignorance of the nature and design of evangelical repentance and of its place in the new covenant that many true converts do, even for years, make their exercise of repentance a part of their warrant to renew the acting of their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And doubtless if others who appear to be real Christians had attained correct and distinct views of the grace, duty, and necessity of true repentance, they would not have imagined, as they seem to have done, that the exercise of it was over with their first conversion, nor would they have presumed to look back on that exercise as a ground of right to apply to themselves the unlimited offers and absolute promises of the glorious gospel. And it is then of the utmost consequence, both to sinners and to saints, that they attain just and distinct views of the nature and the place of true repentance, and they be deeply affected with the high importance and absolute necessity of it to their spiritual, to their eternal welfare. I shall endeavor in humble dependence on the spirit of truth to assist such of them as will read this treatise to attain those views. And in order the more effectually to do this, I shall consider first the sources of true repentance, secondly the nature and import of it, thirdly the necessity of it, fourthly the difference between a true and counterfeit repentance. That's what the next reading will be on, by the way. Fifthly, the fruits or evidences of true repentance. Sixthly, the priority of the acting of genuine faith to the exercise of evangelical repentance. Seventhly, the priority of justification to the first exercise of true repentance. And in the last place, I shall answer some objections.